Please pray with me, if you will. Let us pray. Living God, your word is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. As we read this old, old wisdom, help us to hear your holy word so deeply that in hearing we may truly understand, that in understanding we may truly believe, and that in believing we may follow in all faithfulness and obedience, all to your glory and honor through Jesus Christ our Lord. And may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Our New Testament lesson this morning comes from Paul's letter to the Philippians, the second chapter, verses 1 through 11. Listen now for these words of God to the church and the world. If then there is any encouragement in Christ, any consolation from love, any sharing in the Spirit, any compassion and sympathy, make my joy complete. Be of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility regard others as better than yourselves. Let each of you look not to your own interests, but to the interests of others. Let the same mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not regard equality with God as something to be exploited, but emptied himself, taking the form of a slave, being born in human likeness, and being found in human form, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death, on a cross. Therefore, God also highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bend in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Amen. Our sermon and Old Testament lesson this morning continue to follow along uh, with our plan of neighborhood church as we go through the season of Lent. We appreciate all of you who are adapting to new ways of meeting, uh, new ways of kind of being the church, um, and uh, I applaud all of you who are trying to work your way through this really excellent book that I think has a lot to say uh, to our moment in time. Our specific scripture this morning comes from the book of Joshua, the second chapter, uh, and we'll be reading from the early part of that book. So uh, for this sermon, Neighborhood Church in Rahab's House, I invite you to hear the word of the Lord that we receive from Joshua 2. Then Joshua, son of Nun, sent two men secretly from Shittim as spies, saying, Go view the land, especially Jericho. So they went and entered the house of a prostitute whose name was Rahab, and spent the night there. 
The king of Jericho was told, some Israelites have come here tonight to search out the land. Then the king of Jericho sent orders to Rahab, bring out the men who have come to you, who entered your house, for they have come only to search out the whole land. But the woman took the two men and hid them. And then she said, true, the men came to me, but I did not know where they came from. And when it was time to close the gate at dark, the men went out. Where the men went, I do not know. Pursue them quickly, for you can overtake them. She had, however, brought them up to the roof and hidden them with the stalks of flax that she had laid out on the roof. So the men pursued them on the way to the Jordan as far as the fords. As soon as the pursuers had gone out, the gate was shut. Before they went to sleep, she came up to them on the roof and said to the men, I know that the Lord has given you the land and that dread of you has fallen on us and that all the inhabitants of the land melt in fear before you. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea before you when you came out of Egypt and what you did to the two kings of the Amorites that were beyond the Jordan, to Sihon and Og, whom you utterly destroyed. And As soon as we heard it, our hearts melted, and there was no courage left in any of us because of you. The Lord your God is indeed God, in heaven above and on earth below. Now then, since I have dealt kindly with you, swear to me by the Lord that you in turn will deal kindly with my family. Give me a sign of good faith that you will spare my father and mother my brothers and sisters and all who belong to them, and deliver our lives from death. The men said to her, Our life for yours. If you do not tell this business of ours, then we will deal kindly and faithfully with you when the Lord gives us the land. Then she let them down by a rope through the window, For her house was on the outer side of the city wall, and she resided within the wall itself. She said to them, go toward the hill country so that the pursuers may not come upon you. Hide yourselves there three days until the pursuers have returned. Then afterward, you may go your way. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. As one of the oldest known settlements in the world, Jericho has had many chapters throughout history, but archaeologists have confirmed that a vibrant Neolithic settlement occupied the site around 1500 BCE. By that time, the city was ringed by two walls, a double enclosure made of mud bricks that were resting on foundations of stone. And there is also evidence that houses were constructed on the earthen embankment between those two walls in the 12 to 15 foot gap that separated them. 
and that those houses were constructed atop wooden beams that spanned from one wall to the other. Now, these houses were thin structures made with only one layer of sun-dried brick, which suggests that they would have been the humble, relatively unstable dwellings of the poorer citizens of Jericho. It seems likely that the Rahab of Joshua's story could have lived in one of these mud huts, hanging right there on the edge of the city wall, that this is exactly the kind of space that she opened and shared with Israelite spies. It is somewhat ironic that the fourth week of our neighborhood church study would focus on shared spaces when we are working so hard right now not to share space. For good reasons, we have all withdrawn to our homes. We are purposely isolating ourselves and our families. I also find it ironic that as we experience this isolation and this physical alienation, we are focusing even more fervently on ways that we can connect with one another socially and still share our lives socially. Even though we are not sitting in the same room, we're finding new ways to partner with one another. And the creativity and the ingenuity that we are seeing online right now is amazing. And I have a theory of why that is. And we'll get back to that. But for the moment, let me say that it is fortunate, even may I say providential, that we are looking today at this story of the spies in Rahab's house. Van Tottenhove and Mueller make the powerful point in their book that communal conversion transformational change that broadens our witness to Christ is much more likely when we find ways not just to share our spaces with others, but to integrate our mission with those people. They use the powerful phrase, mutual investment in each other's purposes. Mutual investment in each other's purposes. And Rahab gives us a wonderful example of how mutual investment and shared purpose with our neighbors might lead us to transformational change in our own day and time. Now, that being said, this partnership was not at all obvious in the beginning. I cannot imagine that Rahab was thrilled when the spies knocked on her door. And she probably knew that she could not resist them. Maybe she could see that they were armed. Maybe she just worried that they were. So we can understand why she let them in. It's harder to understand why she let them stay. It's even harder to understand why she protected them at her own peril. After all, she had an out. We know that they are in there, the king's men said. Send them out. And it could have been all over right there. But for some reason, Rahab decides to protect the spies. She sends them up to the roof to hide, and she lies to protect them. Sure, they were here, but they've gone, she said, and I don't know where they are. They went that way, and if you hurry, you might just catch them. 
And from that moment on, from that point on, Rahab and the spies are not just sharing space in Rahab's house. Their fates are now entwined. They are mutually invested in each other's purposes. They are in it together. And when the coast is clear and the spies depart, Rahab dares to say to them, please remember what I have done for you. Swear to me by the Lord that you will deal kindly with me and my family. And the spies reply to her, our life for yours. From this point on, our lives are in your hands, your life is in our hands, and a partnership formed in that moment, and that partnership changed the world. So what can we learn from this sharing of space, from this miraculous, surprising, transformational partnership that was born in Rahab's house? One clear lesson, and the bridge we need to cross right at the very outset, is to recognize that the partners which we pick for shared, integrated ministry are not perfect. They're never perfect. Now, you might think that that kind of goes without saying, but the truth is that the church has not always done this very well. Too often we have told ourselves that people need to hit some sort of a threshold of righteousness before we partner with them. I have known some church charities, for example, who expect people to make a certain profession of faith or meet some ethical litmus test before they can receive assistance from that organization. And I think those ministry decisions come from the same impulse that has colored a lot of bad preaching about Rahab and her story. Those sermons that say, yeah, Rahab used to be a harlot, I'll use the King James term to keep this PG. But she had repented of all that. She had totally cleaned up her act by the time that the spies showed up. It's like these preachers feel the need to protect the spies of Israel from being tainted by anything unclean, as if they drifted through time and space in some kind of bubble of holiness. And I'm not sure where that idea came from. Because there is nothing at all in the text that suggests Rahab's sin was in her past. And there's also nothing in the text to suggest that these spies of Israel were without sin. On the contrary, the cold reality seems to be that the spies of Israel, who sneaked around and lied for a living, forged a bargain with a harlot who was also a liar. When I was a pastor up in North Carolina, I went one evening to a community meeting at Greater Joy Baptist Church in Rocky Mount to talk about a spike in gang violence that everyone was really worried about. State Trooper Clee Atkinson was a primary speaker that night, and as he was explaining to all of us just what was happening in the poor neighborhoods of Rocky Mount, his cell phone rang. It was a young man who knew Clee well. And he was calling to ask if he should come over to the presentation. He knew he was late. He apologized for being late. He had intended to come. And right there in front of us, Clee had a conversation. Clee told him, no, don't come here. You go to work instead. 
The presentation was well in hand, he said. We've got this under control. You, young man, should go and fulfill your obligations, show up to work, fulfill the responsibilities that you have accepted. Trooper Atkinson was giving parental advice, good advice to a child who trusted him and relied upon him for that kind of advice. And what really amazed me was when I learned later that the young man on the other end of the phone was at that very time a gang member himself, a known participant in the groups that were perpetuating much of the violence in the community. Clee knew that, but he never said to that young man, we can be friends if, we can be friends if you leave the gang. He placed no condition on the relationship. There were no ifs. There were no prerequisites. Trooper Atkinson simply recognized this young man as a child of God and someone who needed a friend and a mentor. There would be plenty of time to talk about the gang and what needed to happen with that, to work out all the things that needed to be worked out. But the friendship, the relationship, the partnership, the respect and the honor that had to come first. And Clee Atkinson had decided that he would be the first to say, my life for yours. We are in this together. And that shared ministry was already beginning to change that neighborhood. Transformation was beginning to happen in that boy's life, in that trooper's life, and certainly in the life of that community, all because of a relationship that was a mutual investment in God's purposes. And that partnership was between two people who were far from perfect. A few weeks ago, we sang uh, here in worship the old standard, Come ye sinners, poor and needy. And we sang with full hearts these words, Come ye sinners, poor and needy, weak and wounded, sick and sore, Jesus stands ready, stands to save you, full of pity, love, and power. Come, ye weary, heavy, laden, lost and ruined by the fall. If you tarry till you're better, you will never come at all. If we think we can form partnerships only with people who are squeaky clean and who appear righteous on the outside, if we think that we have to be cleansed and healed before we move forward together, then we are fooling ourselves and we are going to be pretty lonely in ministry. When the spies came to Rahab's house, neither side was perfect. Neither side was looking for perfection in that other side. And that was honest and it was bold and God honors that. Another lesson of this story of shared ministry teaches us that when we are trying to decide whether someone can be a reliable partner for the goals that we seek, vulnerability will always be involved. In Rahab's house, the vulnerability was clear and unmistakable. If Rahab decided to turn on those spies, they were pretty much dead. They had to trust her. They didn't really have much of a choice, but Rahab had a choice. She could have turned them in and been rid of this whole nuisance, but by protecting them, 
By putting her own life at risk to guard theirs, she made a choice to put her life and the lives of her family in their hands. All she had was a hope and a promise, a hope and a promise that when those spies came back with their army, they would remember her kindness and spare her household. And for some reason, she was willing to take a chance on those spies and take a chance on their God, a chance that she might end up being okay. Now, on this point, we are entering clearly into Brene Brown territory. Many of you know who I'm talking about, and we all have a little time on our hands right now. If you are looking for some positive screen time, look up Brene Brown's TED Talk on vulnerability. If you have Netflix, stream her special, The Call to Courage. And if you do, you will hear her talk about how the courage to be vulnerable to other people can open the door to greater happiness and fulfillment. That having the courage to know who we are, to know what we need, to know what we seek, and to take risks on the way to that goal by trusting other people, even when the outcome of that trust is uncertain, those decisions can transform our lives. This is the reality of the partnerships we are called to form in ministry, partnerships with each other and partnerships with people outside of our walls who share our space in ministry. The choice to partner with someone in mission and ministry is ultimately a choice to make ourselves vulnerable to them in trust and in hope, just the way that Rahab and some Israelite spies did. Every week, those people who attend meetings of Alcoholics Anonymous on our campus do just that. They make a conscious choice to trust one another with deep and sensitive truths, things that they may not have shared with any other person before. They do not come as perfect people, and they know that no one else in that circle is perfect either, but they still choose to put their lives in one another's hands because they see hope and salvation in that act. Now, I think those meetings offer some of the most perfect church that we offer here on any day of the week. As grace is offered and received by people who know very well that they do not deserve it. And if those spies had gone to any other house in that wall, they would have certainly been betrayed and their mission would have failed. But for some reason, they decided to trust a prostitute in her home and she decided to trust them. And they decided that they would be vulnerable with one another and to trust one another and the gates were opened to the promised land. When we have the courage to be vulnerable, when we are willing to take chances in the hope for something better, even when that outcome may be uncertain at the time, transformative partnerships are born and God honors that. The last thing I'll say about the partnership born in Rahab's house is that it never would have happened in the first place And it certainly never would have worked out in the end if Rahab and those spies had not shared a common vision for where they were going. 
Rahab explains her bold actions to the spies with a profession about what she and her people believed was happening. We have heard about you, she says, and we have heard about your God, how you were delivered from Egypt, how victory has followed you ever since. I know that the Lord has given you this land. I know that the Lord, your God, is indeed God in heaven above and on earth below. Rahab was given a glimpse of what God was doing by bringing these people into her land, and a glimpse was all she needed. She sensed that a powerful God was behind these events, and she somehow knew that what was coming would be good and right and hopeful, and Rahab's vision of what was coming aligned perfectly with the vision and purpose of the spies who had picked her door out of all the others. And from that point, they became partners in God's work. As a result, Rahab is listed twice in the New Testament as a model believer. In the book of James, where she is essentially compared to the Magi of Matthew's gospel because she helped Israel's spies return to safety by another road. And a second time, in what many call the hall of fame of faith found in Hebrews 11. By faith, Hebrews says, Rahab the prostitute did not perish with with those who were disobedient because she had received the spies in peace. As is often the case, the King James Version is more poetic and memorable. She perished not with them who believed not. This partnership in mission was blessed and successful because Rahab and the spies shared a common vision. They all shared the hope of a better life, a better way, the coming of a light that was brighter than any that they had previously known, and God honors that. I said earlier that I have a theory of why we are seeing an explosion of online creativity in this time when we are physically isolated from one another. I think the reason is that all of this creativity seems to be an expression of a new partnership that we are feeling. A revived sense of camaraderie bearing all three of the characteristics that I have mentioned this morning. While we know that online connections are not perfect, they are the best that we have right now. And we are willing to explore them in new ways. And while we are not perfect, we believe somehow that we can be enough. Given these imperfect circumstances, people are also showing a willingness to be vulnerable in new ways. People are sharing gifts in videos and music. They're sharing laughter and tears. They are sharing hopes and dreams and fears. And this vulnerability seems to be leading us to a new freedom and also a new sense of hope. And we are doing all of this because we are coalescing around a common vision, a shared conviction and a faith that this is a time for us to look out for one another, a time to alter our own behavior for the good of others, a time to think selflessly and compassionately about how we can do our own small part in a global effort 
and God honors that. And that is why we share a hope, even an assurance that we, like Rahab, will perish not with them who believe not. Thanks be to God. Amen.